failed to mention to all of you to uh, remember to pray for students, both high school and college. Uh, they might look nice and, and smiley today, but they've got finals coming up. That's a stressful time. Would you agree? Papers due, final projects, things your teachers gave you grace on not to turn in three weeks ago. You're still having to finish up. So uh, be praying for our students. One of the principles I learned many, many years ago, just, uh, just in life in general, you know, by the way, stress continues to happen. If you think when you graduate, it's all over, it's not, it's just going to accumulate and, and multiply. But one of the things I learned uh, years ago, when it was a phrase by somebody, but then it just expanded my thought in some other areas. When you, when you feel like you just can't move on any further, you're, you're just, the whole world's crushing in and you're stressed out, you know, the last thing you should do is just sit down and do nothing. Sometimes there is, there is peace when you can just sit down and maybe push everything out. But sometimes yeah, your emotion changes when you put your body in motion. Okay? When you sit down on your couch and you do nothing, it just accumulates more negative emotion. And watching through the, you know, the 56th episode of some Netflix series is not going to be more helpful. Okay? You need to put your body in motion to change your emotion. And it's not just putting your body in motion, certainly working out and some of those things help, uh, the endorphins and all, but really, why don't you stop looking inward to your own personal issues right now and look outward and look for somebody who is in more need than you are and you go help them. Because when you stop looking inward and you start looking outward, things begin to change in your perspective. And you come back actually more energized and capable to handle what you have to deal with. So if you just feel like it's all crushing in, just pause and look out and say, how can I be a little more generous with my time and go help someone else? And then God will renew my strength so that I can handle what I'm dealing with right now. Just a little nugget. I won't charge you extra for that. But it does give me a connection to where we are going in a new series that I'm titled in um, uh, Loving Generously. What does it mean to be generous with our time, our talents, our treasures? What does it mean to truly uh, to give beyond just the extras that we have? To perhaps be a little more sacrificial with some of our thoughts or, or, or energies. That we want to give that to somebody um, that doesn't necessarily mean they deserve it. But you want to be generous. And not only be generous, that you might do that out of true love. Most of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's a chapter of love. But even in that early part of that chapter, there are times we can do stuff, but it's not out of love. We speak in tongues of men and angels. We can, we can even burn our own body, but if we don't do that out of love, it's worth nothing. Have you ever done something for someone else out of obligation and not out of love? Some of you have to do that this week for your employer. You don't love it, but you do it. Kids have had to clean their room because mama said so, not because they really enjoy doing that. There are some children who don't take a bath at camp until the leader says, you must do this. They don't do it because they love the camp. Which, by the way, I was at TRO yesterday. TRO is, is uh, uh, Thomas Road Outpost, all right, a camp near uh, Peaks of Otter. Uh, that was donated to them, and they're you know, working out the details how they provide a good camp in the area. But one on the uh, June 7th through 13th, I believe, uh, the week is for inner-city kids who never get to go to camp, never experienced a Christian environment, and it's completely free. I love that. Has anybody ever heard of TRO? Am I just kind of new here? Three of you, good. So all of you are going to learn with me. 
I love the experience, but the, 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 the best part about the camp when I saw it, I'm like, I want to come to camp. They have uh, somebody donated like a half a million dollars to build a bathhouse. And you think, you've been to camp, you know what bathhouses are like. This thing was like going to the Ritz-Carlton. It was absolutely beautiful. And they have tankless water heaters. Do you know what that means at camp? You don't have to be the first one in the shower to actually get a warm shower. I was the guy at camp who would wake up early, 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 so I got the hot water because the second guy is going to get kind of warm water. The third guy, he's not going to get any warm water at all, which means they're not going to take a shower for the rest of the week. That's why guys smell at camp. But this is all, it doesn't matter if you're the first or the last, um, you're going to get a warm shower. Well, anyway, I, I digress. All right, so let me focus on this for a second. Why did the, somebody donate a half a million dollars for this? Because they love generously. Let's not just give a shower house. Let's do it with everything that we would desire if, we, if money was not an option and, and not a barrier. How are you loving generously? Let, let, let me stop talking about organizations who have a half million dollars to give away. Uh, let's talk about you and I. How do you love generously? Or do you? Am I a generous lover of people? I want us to turn to Luke chapter 14. Uh, we're going to look at just the first 14 verses, walking verse by verse through this text. If you don't have a Bible with you, pick up the black Bible in the pew rack right in front of you uh, and turn to page 820. When we look at the Word of God, I always want you to have your eyeballs on the text, whether it's on your phone or in your hands uh, uh, through, through the, the print uh, that we have. I want you to have your eyeballs on it because I want you to see what Jesus says, not just my interpretation of it. One of my goals for the series, and this will be a five-week series, and we're going to use actually a little cinematography along with this, which will be a little different than typical. But I want us to become more of a church, and, and I think we're already there, but we need to grow some more. I want us to be a church of compassion that is comprised of people willing to serve our community selflessly by both showing and sharing the gospel. And that's going to take us in a stretching mode that we're going to have to look at things a little differently. You know, it's good to give a cup of cold water. We want to do that in Jesus' name. But what are other areas, not just corporately, but individually, we can live in ways that loves other people generously? Where are the needs? What, what's happening in the culture that, that there's a lack and a, and a void that we can step into? That was kind of the heart behind the tutoring ministry. When I, when I look in the, in the paper and I'm saying... 350 to 700% failure rates among students, depending on the subject. And it doesn't matter what school you go to, whether Heritage or E.C. Glass or any of the middle school and, and elementary schools, there is kids behind in school. There's kids failing. They don't understand it. This online thing is not working for many. And we can say, well, isn't that a shame? What's the school going to do about it? Or we can say, God, what would you have us do about it? How can we love generously here? Can we give up some time? Can we give up some of the, the, the knowledge that we've got and share it with kids who, who need some help? Helping families, helping moms who are struggling to make ends meet, and they, they don't have time to also sit on Zoom with their kid. We can do these things. So today's message is titled The Banquet. You'll understand this in a little bit. But I want us to understand what Jesus says here in this text that kind of launches in this direction, loving generously. In verse 1, it says, uh, One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And I'll pause right there. you got to understand the context of this. Very fascinating that Jesus would be invited to dine at the ruler of the Pharisees. 
anytime, but especially right now. Because if you, if you look back in Luke chapter 13, just a few verses before that, he'd already done something in the culture that, that the Pharisees were very angry about. He healed a lady on the Sabbath. Look back at uh, chapter 13, uh, starting in verse, verse 10. Now he was teaching in the synagogue of, uh, of the, on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, or no, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. That's an amazing statement that it just took place. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she became, was made straight and she glorified God. You think everybody would be celebrating. This woman, everybody probably knew her 18 years, hunched over and struggling. And Jesus says, you've been freed from this disability. We ought to be celebrating and, and make sure we have a potluck dinner afterwards so everybody can celebrate. That's not what takes place in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, mad, angry, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. It was more about the letter of the law at that moment than the spirit of the law. And he said to the people, there are six days of which you ought to work to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. Had this woman come on a Wednesday, it would have been, it would have been fine. But why in the world is he healing on the Sabbath? And he's angry about that. All right, so just a few verses later, what takes place? The ruler of, of the synagogue, the Pharisee, invites him to his home for dinner. Perhaps that was an interesting week of what took place there. So Jesus is being invited to the house to dine with the ruler of the Pharisees. But you notice at the end of verse 1, what does it say? They were watching him carefully. It's the Sabbath. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Because now look at verse 2. They're setting him up. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy. Edema in the Greek. An abnormal accumulation of fluid in the bodily tissue, which caused swelling. Perhaps because of a heart condition. Which is kind of interesting. Is it this dropsy man who has a heart condition or is it the Pharisees who've invited them for dinner? What is the purpose of the, the, the man with dropsy? How, two questions really come up about this. Why was he there? You know, how, did he just like stumble into the house of a Pharisee? I doubt it. And if he was invited, why was he invited? Oh, they're setting up Jesus. Let's get a man who is crippled. It's the Sabbath. Will Jesus heal him? Or has he learned his lesson? He shouldn't do that. He's sitting around all the religious leaders. If the man was invited, was it because they loved him and they wanted him in their presence? Or was he used, just being used as a pawn to trap Jesus? And, you know, one of the things about generosity, sometimes people are generous because they love the person receiving the generosity. Unfortunately, there are times that people are generous for the public, but they're only using the recipient as a pawn. You better consider why you are generous with people and when you do that. Are you willing to be as generous behind the scenes as you are in public with other people seeing you? Just be, a, be cautious about that. Verse 3, I want you to see this. And Jesus responded to the lawyers. The lawyers here are the legalist of the law in a sense of what does the Bible say specifically? We know the Hebrew here. We know the, 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 the Aramaic. We know the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. We know these things, and we're watching. And so he looks right at the legalists and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
but they remain silent. Very fascinating. An opportunity for them to argue, but they're not going to say a word because they're still waiting to see what Jesus would do. Then Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. I'm thankful that he healed him and then sent him out of the room because this man's issue is is this fluid in his body, uh, the swelling. His issue is not to debate the legalist. Jesus loved him enough to heal him and say, now you can leave. Okay, now who's he going to focus on? The the men with the real heart issue. You notice here in verse 5, and he said to them... All of these legalists, all of these Pharisees sitting there. Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? I mean, how many of those legalists, letter of the law. And the letter of the law basically says you are not to work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. See your ox, your son, they fall into a ditch. I can just imagine. My son Mordecai is here. He just came back from college. So he falls into a ditch. Well, Mordecai, good luck. I'll see you tomorrow, maybe. If I got some time. No, I'm going to help him. And every one of these legalists would too because they would change it to the spirit of the law for personal privilege. But for everybody else, they hold them to the letter of the law, which isn't generous or loving. And you notice in verse 6, once asked the question, they could not reply. They went from did not reply, remaining silent in verse 4. Verse 6, they could not reply to these things because they didn't have an answer. You notice here, once again, just like in chapter 13, there's no celebration of the healing. This man who had a, a condition that was, it was troubling him. There was no coming to meet the man's need. Everyone in the room knew he had a problem. Hence, that's why they invited him into the presence of, of Jesus on this Sabbath. They knew he had a problem, but they were indifferent to his problem. They were only using him as a pawn to trap Jesus. This is what I find here. Loving generously is not silent indifference. This is where they were. They were silent when asked. They remained silent. They were indifferent about him. And in our culture, we find ourselves in the same position. God exposes a need to us that we can meet. He he, he shows us a person who could use some words of encouragement. Or we can make a, a, a financial contribution or just spend some time with people. And we see it, but we're silent and we're indifferent. Well, that's not my issue. This is the Pharisees. This is the legalist. We could say, like so many do in their job, well, that's not my job. That's, that's not my spiritual gift. That's not my, my job description. For a believer, Jesus steps into our life and loves us generously, far beyond we, anything we could ever deserve. And he, you know, he just, he models for his followers, are we doing the same thing? It's loving generously is not silent indifference. But moving on in the text, I want you to see verse 7. Now he told a a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Isn't this first come, first serve? If you're there first, you get the best place. It's not how it works in the Jewish culture. 
He says, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame and take the lowest place. In Jewish custom, they would set up uh, the room in a U-shaped way. So the head of the table, the the, the host, would sit at the the top of the U-shape. And then those with most honor would sit next to them. And then all the way down to the end of the U where the lowest position was at the end of the table. But you realize the lowest position is not at the end of the table. It's that you weren't invited to the table at all. So if you were invited at all to the table, Jesus says, be humble about yourself and honor the other people in the room by sitting at the the farthest position away from the head. And then if that, that person sees value in you and they want you closer, they'll say, oh, why don't you come up and sit closer? But what if you came and sat right next to the seat, the empty seat where the host is going to be, and the host then comes in and says, uh, uh, how embarrassing it would be for you. He says, um, I know you didn't see the name tar- cards down at the end, but you're kind of like at the end. And in front of everybody, you're being embarrassed, shamed, and you have that long road. And I, I just tell you, if I was in that position, being the one called out, I would probably walk all the way to the end and just walk out the door. It's so you want to get away real quick. Because those who pride themselves, hey, they, they are deserving in this. Jesus says, this is not loving generosity. When you're with people, let them be first. You be with people, do you always demand your own way? Or do you say, well, what would you like to do? How, how can I serve you in this? Think about your place. Because loving generously is not self-exaltation. Yeah, everybody's at the table, great, but I need to be in the, the, the front seat. It's not true. Jesus shows you. In verse 10, he says, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Ultimately, Jesus is speaking of his kingdom feast. None of us will deserve to be in heaven. If we're in heaven, it's because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. To be invited to the table is a big deal. But we do it humbly. We love generously because he loves us generously. I mean, loving it generously is not about silent indifference. It's not self-exaltation. And the third point is loving generously is not self-serving interactions. Look at verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, looking at the host, the the Pharisee um, ruler, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Well, why not? You'd want to have them around, but here's the thing. Those are the only people ever invited to something at, at their house. He says, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you love generously, do you invite people that you know will return the favor? Or do you do it sacrificially, knowing nothing may be returned to you? When you give time, do they owe you? When you give resources, financial resources, do they owe you? You you give an invitation, do they owe you? I want to pause just for a moment. I want you to watch a a, a short film clip that brings the the first century into the 21st century. And then I'm going to wrap back around and give you one last point.
think, Frank? Honey, it looks great. Don't worry. Everything's gonna be great. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? He's done a really great job. I'm impressed. Did you expect anything else? Oh, look here. Pansy, honey. Oh, nice. Frank, Cassie! <laughs> hey. hey! Welcome to Seed Time Garden Supply Partners. Come here. Oh. Closer oh. to the side, closer to God. Ray, it looks amazing. <laughs> it really does. We were gonna bring a grand opening gift, but my go-to is usually a plant. And <laughs> um. Dolores, I wanted to meet Frank and Cassie Donovan. They made this whole thing happen. Oh, we helped. A little bit. Raise the one with the green thumb. <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. Well, actually, I think we met some time ago down at the soup kitchen. That's right. You haven't been there in a while. Well, I haven't had the need lately. <laughs> Thanks to Ray here. You know, you should come out to the banquet tonight. You could be Ray's plus one. Oh, she wouldn't want to sit through some old stuffy banquet with a bunch of rich folk. I can decide if I want to go to some stuffy banquet myself. Thank you very much. It's not stuffy. What? <clears throat> okay, so it's a little stuffy. But what do you expect? It's for the soup kitchen donors. You've got a better idea. You do, don't you? <laughs> he also said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't just invite your friends, relatives and rich neighbors, the kind of people who can return to faith. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. It does kind of make sense to invite the people the benefit benefits, right? So, basically, it's like a metal detector, but only it finds plastic, you know what I'm saying? But what would you find with it? What do you mean? Plastic! I'm at Frank almost uh, four years ago at, at the kitchen. Excuse me, I have some people for you to meet. This is Thomas and his fiance Julia. We've enjoyed getting to know them at the kitchen. It's great to meet you, Thomas. Yeah, you too. Oh, I'm sort of the official handshaker for us. I am so oh, sorry. Oh, it's okay. I saved tons of money on hand sanitizer. <laughs> Cassie, may I speak with you for a moment, please? Oh, Victoria, I'd like to... I'm sorry, dear. Um, I'm afraid I won't be able to stay for dinner, but you can put me down for my usual donation. Oh, thank you. But I'm sorry that you have to leave so soon. I'm not exactly sure why things were changed this year, but... You should probably know that a few people feel a little ambushed by how this was done. Ambushed? I just thought you'd want to know. Aren't you staying for dinner? Not for me. I'm sorry to hear that. Did we do something to upset you? I don't see no name card says Chuck.
That's a good point, Chuck. But I don't see a card here with anyone else's name on here, do you? No, sir, I suppose I don't. Chuck, from the looks of it, we are going to have plenty of food to go around. So, would you please join me for dinner? Cassie, thank you. It was a great evening. Y'all take care. Take care. Drive safe. What a lovely evening. Yeah. <laughs> Something wrong, Frank? I was just thinking about the people who left earlier tonight. But hey, more food for us, right? <laughs> you know, some people only want to sit at tables when every seat is reserved for people like themselves. But you want real community. You gotta rip up name cards and prepare to get your hands dirty. I know a thing or two about getting my hands dirty. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why we hated to lose Ray as a gardener. Oh yeah. Uh, Julia? Is something wrong, dear? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> Say what's on your mind. You're among friends here. It's just that I haven't been a part of many meaningful relationships lately. Except Thomas, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas is about the only healthy thing in my life. It's okay, sweetheart. Julia lost her apartment today. Oh. It's a long story but we're trying to figure out how to deal with some people who think that they get to decide what table Julia sits at. Oh. I know that there's a lot there that won't be solved right now, but Frank and I might be able to help out in some small way. We have a guest house that we would love for you to use for as long as you need it. Uh, no, I, I couldn't. No, uh, uh, thank you, Mrs. Donovan, um, but... No, hold on, Thomas. I know you can't see my wife right now, but if you could, you'd know not to mess with her. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, we insist. I, I, I don't know what to say. Say thank you, dear. Uh, <laughs> of course. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's settled then. Oh. It's all over. <laughs> this was nice, Ray. Yeah. Especially knowing God will repay you. So I don't have to. <laughs> You'll have to come back next week to see how that turns out. <laughs> Considering what Jesus said in Luke 14, go back to that passage. We saw what he said in verse 12. That loving generously is not self-serving interactions. But he concludes in verse 13 and 14, loving generously is, is selfless invitation. And the selfless invitation goes into three different categories here. You'll notice in the text. In verse 13 when it says, but when you give a feast, 
Not if you do, if you think about it, when you do. There's an expectation that there's going to be a selfless invitation. Then he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the deformed, and the blind. This is an expensive type of feast because these aren't people who are going to repay you back. The poor have no money. They cannot repay. The crippled have no ability. They cannot help. The lame have no beauty. They will not attract. The blind have no sight, and they can't really appreciate what you've done with your table displays and the food. Invitation that is selfless is expected. It's expensive. But notice in verse 14 where he concludes, it's exalting. And you will be blessed. You personally, the church, the Christian community around the world, when they begin to love those in the world that may not be like them specifically, but certainly are loved by Jesus, it will exalt him. You will be blessed because you cannot, they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of the conversations I've been having over the last uh, couple of months with uh, Armand and Jennifer Love and Joe Ferris was how we might be able to love people in our community in a different way than we have in the past. And we've done a lot of things, and a lot of things happened during Thanksgiving. But one of the concepts Armand Love had, he says, do you think we could put together a Thanksgiving box and invite people to a worship service where we share the gospel with them, and then we give them for free a box of food that's about $40 inside, completely free. Joe's been doing this for years, delivering boxes of food for individuals in our community. And what a magnificent, loving contact he's had with them. But even expanding that a little further, we're going to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and anybody else who just might need some love into this place of worship to give them food for free and to share the gospel of Jesus. For $40, we can do that for a family, and our goal is 100 But it's not just about an event. It's really about a lifestyle for all of us. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, he goes on. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, for he will exalt you.